Around 1962 or three, President Shazar became the president of Israel. President Zalman Shazar, his old last name was Rubachov, which he shortened to Shazar, was a Zionist and a very secular person who had come from a Lubavitcher background and had, like many people, lost his way. And to be sure, he found his way back considerably. By the time he passed away, he was from keeping Shabbos, eating kosher, davening every day, and so forth. And he had a very, very special relationship with the Rebbe, a very personal relationship with the Rebbe. But he certainly was a part of the Israeli left. And um, the Rebbe was very makar of him, and the Rebbe accomplished many great things through his help and intervention in building moistas and all kinds of things, and influencing the country and so forth. So Shazar became the president of Israel. And um, of course, you understand that in those days, and today also, um, a lot of from Jews, a lot of religious Jews have big issues with Zionism and Zionists and the whole question of how it fits into the scheme of Yiddishkeit. And of course, the position of Awad Abayim is sort of on a very, very fine line, you know, supporting the people and not the idea. So when Shazar became the president of Israel, the Rebbe spoke by Fabrengen. And um, he spoke about the idea of when a person is given a position of leadership, He's forgiven for all of his Avedis. In other words, Shazar's becoming president means that But the Rebbe started off that Sikha with a typically uh, Rebbe-esque uh, introduction. He said, quote, Which means in English, I have a special pleasure of creeping into narrow spaces. Which meant the Rebbe knew full well that talking about Shazar's ascent to being the president of the modern state of Israel and saying was going to get him into a lot of trouble. But uh, he did it anyway because he felt it was true and the Rebbe doesn't show fear of anybody in anything. So we <laughs> um, like to creep into narrow spaces and that's about exactly what we're about to do. You may have noticed that this Maimit is very short. It's, it's a grand total of 20 lines. But it is pure crypti. This entire Maimed is Kabbalistic and um, we're creeping into a narrow space and hopefully when we're done you'll still be tuned in and uh, with us and not frustrated and overwhelmed and, you know, what is he talking about, Ing? Let me give you background. The Alter Rebbe was a most unusual human being. His distinction has many aspects and one of them is his incredible exactitude it was a passion of his everything had to be perfect and this wasn't egocentrism this was the pursuit of MS the truth and everything in his life was a struggle for perfection that only a man as great as he could have pursued and certainly only a man as great as he could have actually achieved everything in his life had to be absolutely precise. In fact, it's brought in the Sikhs that the Alter Rebbe's behavior was in other words, the Alter Rebbe did things as things are done on high because he was sort of like an in of Merkova, you know. The Alter Rebbe would say this about his Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe said about the Mezitcher Magid, he says, my Rebbe wouldn't move a muscle, wouldn't move his hand unless they would decree on high that he should move his hand. And 
the bittle, the degree of connection between the Magid and the heavens was such that every single tnu, every single aspect and motion that he took reflected what was happening on high. In fact, of course, there's the famous story that he once lay down for a nap on a Friday afternoon and according to Kabbalah, it's a time to rest and about an Agodal, about an Stolina, about an Kalina was sitting in the Mizitra Magid's base Medrash saying Shirashirim. So the Magid sent him a message saying that he has to stop saying Shirashirim because his Shirashirim is making a great Sarash, La Mailo, Nirkenich Lov. The Arna Godl Shirashirim was making a great tumult on high and the Magid couldn't sleep. So I think from the Fidik Rebbe says, Shmami, no, we learn a few things. That when you say Shirashirim, you make a Ganse Shturim, La Mailo. And that the Mizitra Magid's sleep is more important than Abar Nagodl Shirashirim. Now, what's the logic to that? And of course, the answer to that is Tzadikim's sleep is Avoidam, a Merkavafelakus. And from what we know, the Alter Rebbe was the same way. There was incredible exactitude and precision. Every motion and every moment and every act and every investment of self was incredibly precise and was Badug Mushal Maila. The previous Rebbe gives, for example, it was exactly two hours. A half an hour till Shmanesra, a half an hour from Shmanesra, and half an hour thus Shmanesra. Because it's that's the time of davening on high. You'll see in the Maimir, what you have in Tanya, called Eisratz, auspicious times. The Eisratz and Fatfila Shachris is two hours, and the Altarebbe's davening was precisely two hours every single day. And there are innumerable examples of this. Uh, obsession with exactitude in the Alter Rebbe's person. And one of those are his writings. The expression which the Rebbe used all the time, and it's not the Rebbe's original expression, this goes back to earlier generations, is L'shoyne hazahav from the mountain Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe's choice of words and um, power of containment and exactitude in writing is consistent with everything else in the Alter Rebbe's life and perfection. Everything was very, very measured. You know, the people talk about the language of the Alter Rebbe, Shulchan Aruch. Someone told me, someone who knows, that the Badichevist said that he writes like the Rif, like the Alphas in the Shulchan Aruch. And of course, this is most expressed in the precision that he invested in the Tanya that he spent so many years writing. And then of course, the Alter Rebbe Siddur, that even the biggest Mesnagdim admitted that there is no diktuk equal to the Alter Rebbe's uh, exactitude, and so forth and so on. What's interesting is that for whatever reason, the Alter Rebbe wrote very little Hasidus. The Alter Rebbe wrote much more Halacha, the Shulchan Aruch and the Chuvas. The Hasidus of the Alter Rebbe is really very uh, limited in terms of what he wrote. Of course he wrote the Tanya. He spent 20 years writing the Tanya. And then he wrote letters, especially for the solicitations, for the tzedakah, that he was raising for all types of causes, uh, including Tzitka Seretz Yisrael, supporting the Moises in the Holy Land. And he would usually write a letter, which was usually a maimed, an essay of Hasidus and Kabbalah, to send along with the Shaddad each season as a fresh piece of Torah to encourage people to support the causes that the Alter Rebbe was involved with. But for the most part, the Alter Rebbe did not write. When the Alter Rebbe passed away, his children decided to collect all the original manuscripts of the Alter Rebbe's own hand of Hasidus and publish them in the Tanya. And they did that. In other words, the Hasidus that the Alter Rebbe wrote himself is so 
relatively speaking, limited, that for the most part, it fits into the Tanya. And they divide it into two parts, the Yigeres HaKadosh, which are really letters, and then there are some essays, there are some more elaborate, Maimorim, uh, if you will, and the Kuntes Achrin, which is some more letters, but also notes. Like it says in the Agdam of the Tanya, that the Kuntes Achrin are notes that the Alter Rebbe was writing as he was preparing the Tanya. The Alter Rebbe was writing the Tanya, he came across contradictions in Kabbalah, and Kisve Arizal, and so forth. And the Alter Rebbe wrote for himself notes, which are very, very cryptic, resolving these contradictions, and that's the Kuntes Achrin, especially the beginning of the Kuntes Achrin. But apparently there were some more manuscripts of original Hasidus de Alter Rebbe that I, I surmise, I can't say this with certitude, they simply did not have when they published the Tanya in Topkofa in Dalad, which is 1814, the year after the Alter Rebbe passed away. So when the Tzemach Tzedek printed the Teda Eid, he included a few more, what's called Tzav Yad Admur Nishmasayedin As you see on the top of this page, this is a maime that the Alter Rebbe wrote in his own original pen. I don't know this for sure, and I probably shouldn't even suggest it, but I will nevertheless, that the reason this is not in the Tanya is because they simply didn't have it when the Tanya was published. So you have several pieces, I think there's two in the Teda A, which are called Ksavyad And of course, when you're reading a maime from the Alter Rebbe that he wrote himself, it has that same degree of exactitude and condensedness, which is typical of him and consistent with his character and so forth. And that's why you have a 20-line Maimed, which is essentially raw Kabbalah. And we're going to attempt it. This is the idea. We're going to try and learn this Maimed and see if we can make something out of it that people can, can chew on and digest and benefit from. But before I move along, I just want to share with you another idea, which has to do with the Alter Rebbe's recitation of Hasidus. The Alter Rebbe, over the course of his lifetime, said thousands of discourses of Hasidus. Of course, mysticism, Primius Atena, Hasidus Kabbalah. Um, the Tzemach Tzedek had 2,000 Maimorim. I suspect that they were some that he didn't have, especially from the earlier years. But the Alter Rebbe said thousands of essays, discourses, talks, thoughts, one-liners of Primius Atena, of Hasidus. And to be sure, for the most part, they're already published in Maimorim Ad Marazakim, which is printed in the last... 30 years, which is incredibly exciting. And all of that is oral talks, discourses, lectures that the Alter Rebbe gave. Now when the Alter Rebbe said Hasidus, he was in a trance in general, and often he would go into a very deep trance, such a deep trance that he would sometimes fall to the floor and kaiklanzach and roll. And there was a particular Hasid by the name of Rapin Hasreizis, who was incredibly dedicated to the Alter Rebbe, who was very close to the Alter Rebbe, that when the Alter Rebbe would fall to the ground and roll, he would literally roll with him to hear the words that the Alter Rebbe was saying as he was in his dvekas. And the Alter Rebbe had a very, very strict policy. Very strict. He wanted his transcribers to write what he says verbatim, word for word. In other words, they were expected to listen to what he said and just write it down exactly as he said it. If there was a sentence that wasn't finished, if there was a thought that wasn't completed, if there was an idea, there were random words, just write it the way I said it. And they did. There were five transcribers whom the Alter Rebbe recognized. Two were his sons, the Mittler Rebbe, the oldest of his sons, and the youngest of his sons, Rebbe Moshe. One was his brother, the Maril, the brother closest to him in age. The Alter Rebbe had three brothers, but the brother closest to him in age was the big Chassid, the Bidaleib. 
One, of course, was his grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek. And the fifth was this chassid, the Pinchas Reis, the Pinchas Shklava, the Pinchas Shik. There's a volume of chassidus, my Maria Murazak and Ksav Yad Harap. Harap means Harap Pinchas, which is an entire volume of chassidus, of Hanochas transcripts written by this chassid, the Pinchas Reis. He was very close to the Alter Rebbe. He was with the Alter Rebbe a lot. And he was very, very dedicated to Alter Rebbe. And his chassidus is considered the most loyal to the original, in other words, more than anybody else, including the Mittler Rebbe and, and so forth, he was careful to transcribe what the Alter Rebbe said exactly as he said it, and the Alter Rebbe very much appreciated this. Incidentally, this explains why Hasidus seems to be emphatically non-grammatical. Any person who studies Mamari Hasidus finds that the Hebrew is a disaster. <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's, just, it's just not the Hebrew. You know, the Alter Rebbe was so particular about grammar, you read his Maimorim, and it seems like whoever wrote it didn't know the first thing about Hebrew grammar. If you'll pay attention, you realize it's grammatical. It's Yiddish grammar. Because whoever was transcribing would write word for word the Yiddish in English. Yiddish is full of double negatives, like Nishtvaran. There isn't existent. So in Hebrew, that becomes Loyesh. It should be ain. There isn't, and instead it isn't yes or norvaden elarak only only, and it's full of double negatives. And it, it, if you understand the evolution of the language, you can begin to make sense out of it. But the Alter Rebbe wanted his transcribers to be loyal to his original verbatim. In fact, there's a famous story. It happened more than once. The Alter Rebbe said a maimer. And um, he had no recollection of the Maimer. <laughs> and he asked to see the transcript. And he said, it's a good Maimer. It's, it's well organized. Because when he said the Maimer, he was totally in another place. And when he read what he said and realized these were the precise words, the comment was, even though I was totally in the heavens, on earth, it was coherent. It was comprehensible. You could understand it. In fact, some of those Maimerim have notes. That the like it says in the Akdom of the Tere'e, that the Altarebbe looked over the Maimodim, and in some places he made corrections, and so forth and so on. One of the more sensitive areas of the Alter Rebbe's life was that there was one Chassid who was incredibly great. His name is Rabban Alevi, Rabban Strashalet, Rabban Alevi Horowitz. In the base Rebbe, he's called the greatest of Talmud at Murazakin. He also wrote Maimodim, and his Maimodim are published in the various Svarim from the Strashalet, and in fact, I, I know as a matter of fact, that the Rebbe, our Rebbe, was very involved in reading the Strashlas Hasidus, and he used to say, He was a very great Gon and Tzaddik and Kodesh. And he was not particular about Lashon Arab. He wasn't particular about preserving the language of the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe objected very strongly. And uh, he prohibited him from writing Hasidus. It's a long story with not such a happy ending, so I won't share it with you, but the, the, what's relevant is how particular he was about language. Rabbanus Trashele used to complain that the Mittal Rebbe also would write very, very long versions of the Alter Rebbe's concise Maimorim, says the previous Rebbe, but by the Mittal Rebbe, can menzelen oisius harav be pedal. You can count the original words of the Alter Rebbe like diamonds, like pearls. In other words, the Mittal Rebbe may make out of one line a page, but you can identify the original words of the Alter Rebbe. They're always there, preserved. Loshan harav. So the Alter Rebbe wanted that even his oral talks should be transcribed with incredible uh, precision. In the Rebbe's diary, in the Rebbe's Rishimis, it says that the middle of the Rebbe said to his chassidim, don't worry about language, just worry about content. But I saw Sikhs from our Rebbe where he says only the middle of the Rebbe had that opinion. The later Rebbeim also felt that Lashon Arav is very important. But there's no question 
that even though it's true that the Alter Rebbe in general wanted his words to be measured and preserved precisely, there is something special about an original Maimed that the Alter Rebbe not just said, but actually wrote. And this is one of the few in Tereir, which is Lashon Arav, and we're going to, with the help of God, of course, attempt to learn this Maimed. This Maimed is a uh, rendition, it's an explanation of the Oran HaKadosh, of the Holy Ark, and particularly the cherubs, the Keruvim and the Kapedas, the deck which was on top of the Ark, and what they represent and what they mean um, mystically. In a word, in a sentence, the physical Ark and the Keruvim, the cherubs which sat on top of it, represent the Merkava, the chariot. All of us are familiar with the idea that there's something called the divine chariot, uh, which, so to speak, the presence of God is manifest, like you have in Tanakh, in Yecheskel, and in Yeshaya, and so forth. The physical representation of the Merkava is the Arna Kedish, is the Holy Ark. And the, the cherubs, which the two wings, which were which hovered above them, which, so to speak, on which the Shekhinah rested. And of course the idea is that God doesn't need a seat. We need for God to have a seat. Because by God having a seat, so to speak, He's coming closer to us and having a relationship with His world. As the story goes, and I've told it to you several times already in these series of classes, classes that the Baal once asked a parash, a parash um, how he's doing. And he wanted to say thank God. And the parash told the Baal not to waste his time. And the Baal said to this parash, quote, Vosnemstetu by the Merbein Shalom Daim Pazayim Parnosa. Why are you depriving God of his livelihood? So he looked at the Baal like, what is that supposed to mean? And the Baal Shem Tev said, the Pasuk says, which means, God is holy, and holy means removed from the world. Yoshev, what causes Hashem to descend, is the praise of the Jewish people. In other words, the notion of a chariot, of a merkava, of a seat, of a throne, in as much as Hashem is concerned, God doesn't need a seat. We need for God to need a seat, so that He should descend and have a relationship with his world. And there's a Merkava in Atzilus, a Merkava in Bria, a Merkava in Yitzira, a Merkava in Asiya. And of course, when the Beis HaMikdash stood, the cherubs, the Kruvim, which sat on top of the Holy Ark, were the Merkava on which the Shekhinah manifested in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Kedesh HaKadoshim, and so forth and so on. However, there's a very, very big difference between the first Beis HaMikdash and the second Beis HaMikdash. In the time of the first temple, the Holy Ark sat in the Holy of Holies, and the Shekhinah was uh, obviously and visibly manifest in the Kruvim which sat in the Kedesh HaKadosh in the Holy of Holies. So the Rebbe writes in Tanya chapter 53, Perek Nun Gimel, that the presence of Shekhinah that was on the Kruvim in the first Beis HaMikdash was not was not through the chain reaction of worlds. Which means, in other words, the level of Shekhinah that sat in the physical Beis HaMikdash was the same as the level of Atzilas. Even though Atzilus is higher than Bria, and Bria is higher than Yetzira, and Yetzira is higher than Asiya Aruchnis, which is higher than Asiya Agashmis, it was Shalai B'derech In the physical base of Mikdash, you didn't have the Shechina, which is appropriate. For Asiya, you had the Shechina of the highest realm. Ein Saf was physically present in the base of Mikdash. In the second base of Mikdash, in the second temple, the Holy Ark was hidden away, and it wasn't present. 
So there was also the Shechina in the Beis HaMikdash, but it was B'derech Eshtashlus O'Elemis, which means that the Shechina, which is an Atzilus, was compromised in the Merkava of Bria, and further compromised in the Merkava of Yetzirah, and further compromised in the Merkava of Asiyah Ruchnis, and only then did it manifest in the Beis HaMikdash HaGashmi. So this Maimer, which is going to discuss how the Kruvim and the Oren are a Merkava for the Shechina, is primarily the version of it which was in the first Beis HaMikdash, where you had the Oren HaKadosh, the Holy Ark, in the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy Ark, of course, you had the Sefer Teira, and also, more importantly, the Luchei Sabris, the tablets of the covenant, the covenant between the Jewish nation and God, which is a bond of an essence to an essence. And because of that presence, the godliness which is present in the Holy of Holies was the highest level. And our Maimon, of course, is going to explore this notion of the Kruvim being um, a, a Merkava. Now, I already explained to you that the, the concept of a divine chariot or a throne room for godliness is not, God forbid, something that Hashem needs, that God Almighty needs. That would be foolish and also heresy. It's a vehicle through which we have a possibility of having a connection to Him, which is because there is a place for the Shekhinah to manifest, there is a place we can, so to speak, come and meet the Shekhinah. To be sure, that is, to a great degree, what Chokhmah Sakabala is all about. Chokhmah Sakabala is about worlds. And the concept of these worlds are levels, a chain reaction of steps, through which godliness is brought down from a higher level to a whole level. I didn't say God. I said godliness. God is everywhere and God is simple. Godliness, the light of God, comes down from a higher level to a lower level. And of course, the reason this is so significant is because there are mystical worlds and there are mystical seats for godliness to manifest, we can have a relationship with godliness. We can grow in our service of Hashem. We can be sensitized to experience a lakus on some higher or lower direct or indirect level and so forth and so on. So all of this is very, very important to us. In other words, it's not just mysticism. As a philosophy, it has to do with the idea that allows for man to meet God and godliness. And that's the concept of Merkava, and that's really the concept of worlds. Now an alternative form for the same, we talk about the chariot and the worlds, and the idea that godliness meets up, meets us, so we can have a relationship with him, one of the classic models for this is what we call Adam Ha'elyan, the supernal man. Adam Ha'elyan means that godliness manifests in a form which is anthropomorphic. And as I've explained it to you so many times, anthropomorphic, the anthropomorphic model means right, left, center, top, middle, bottom, which means order and balance, division, and at the same time unity and cohesion and uh, bittle, humility, which allows for a a deeper kind of a unity. And through the model of Adam Ha'elyan, godliness manifests sufficiently for you and I, Adam Atachten, or at least for big tzaddikim, who are Adam Atachten, to be sensitized to experience godliness as it manifests through Adam Ha'elyan. And that is also basically the concept of a Merkava, the same principle. But there's another aspect to it. And that is the idea of the male and female, the masculine and feminine aspects of Merkava and Adam Ha'elyan. Let me begin with this commentary, this little thought. The Arizal, of course, is the source of the deepest Kabbalah. Hasidus Chabad is based 
on Kabbalah Sarizal, also Kabbalah Saramak. There's a letter from the Balshemtiv where he wrote to a Menagid that his Taira is a combination of Kabbalah Sarizal and Kabbalah Saramak. But in Chsidis Chabad, Arizal is a basic Achen, there's no doubt about it. And of course, Arizal's Kabbalah is very, very mystical. In other words, it's impossible to read. It's like reading abstract mathematics. And it's all about Yechudim, marriages, unions, a higher level meeting a lower level and producing children which ascend into the next world. And then a higher level meets a lower level producing children which reach into the next world. So the story goes that the Baal Shem Tev met Arizal and he objected. He says, why are you using a model to describe Ruchnius which has a connotation which may be perhaps uh, not sneistic. It, it, it infers something the opposite of modesty. So the story goes that Arizal took a pen and he handed it to the Baal Shem Tev and said, Shreib do better. <laughs> if you think you can come up with a better model, by all means. In other words, as the author says, in Tanya, there is no other marshal. The masculine and feminine forms, which are the framework for how things descend from a higher level to a, a lower level, is unavoidable because the physical manifestation of man and woman and the relationship between men and women are a symptom. Come from the metaphysical uh, forms of the same, and therefore they are the perfect allegory, the Moshal Mochovan, to illustrate all of these ideas. So all of Ishtashalos, all of Kabbalah, is about a seat for God, or godliness. A vehicle through which godliness comes closer to us for our benefit. It's called a chariot, it's called Adam, and it involves Yehudim, masculine and feminine, Mashpia and Makabal, over and over and over again. Now I'm not going to go into the differences between the word Adam and the word Merkava and the word Yehudim. They're very different ideas, but they have this same they have this constant about them that it's all about form through which godliness is brought forward, or as we like to call it, revealed and made available to someone on a lower level. When we talk about Yehudim, we talk about, so to speak, male and female, mashpia and makabal, it exists on every level. The, the, you know, what we're used to from the Siddur is kuchabrichu and shchinte. Kuchabrichu is the male aspect, kuchabrichu means separated, Shchinte means the female aspect. Shchina means manifest. Yichol kuchabricho shchinte is fusing godliness whose tendency is to be removed with godliness whose tendency is to be revealed and manifest. And of course, when you make a marriage like that, then higher levels of godliness are transferred to a lower level through the intermediate of Shchina. This is called Yichudim, male and female fusions, unities. So that something comes from a higher level to a lower level. And all of Ishtashlus is a series of Yichudim from Mashpia and Makabal and so forth and so on. There are, of course, many levels. And in each level, you have the Merkava, you have the Adam, and you have the Zachar and the Keva. The Zavar Nukva, the male and female. There are higher levels and lower levels. There's an interesting marshal brought in Hasidus Medrash that speaks about big mirrors and little mirrors. Maras Gedeles and Maras Kitanis. The word Mara doesn't actually mean a mirror. It means a tool through which you see. A mirror is a classic example of that, but a telescope or a microscope or a, any kind of looking utensil is also the same. What's the difference between a big mirror and a little mirror? A big mirror mirrors, mirrors an image. The little mirror mirrors the same image, except that in the big mirror, the image is large. And in the small image, the, mirror, the image is small, but it's the same image. It's a full image. Similarly, as you go through Hishtashalist, you have many worlds, many Merkavas, many Adams, many Yehudim, Zachar, and Ekeva, but on higher levels, it's 
larger and on smaller levels it's in miniature. This is not only, of course, a physical allusion to space. This is a metaphysical allusion. Higher levels are much more infinite and much less uh, related to us. Lower levels are much more contained and have more of a relationship with the finite. But all of them are complete. Complete Adams, complete Merkavas, complete Yehud of Zachar and Akeva. They're complete systems in grand forms and in miniature forms. The simplest allusion to these differences is what we call Arech Ampin and the Eir Ampin. Arech means the, the massive, the large uh, countenance, and the Eir means the miniature countenance. In other words, Arech and Zah, Arech Ampin and the Eir Ampin, are both Adam. They're both complete, complex systems of Adam. They're complete, if you will, chariots, Merkavas, through which Godliness manifests from a higher level to a lower level. Arech is a keli for Ein Sof in a much more Atzmiyazdika way. Ze'ed is a keli for Ein Sof in a much more Ha'ara, Gilui, contained way, but they're complete systems. And it says in Hasidis from Kabbalah that the word Kruvim in Aramaic means Keravya, like a lad, like a little boy. And all of us know that the face of the two cherubs were a little boy and a little girl. Which means to say that they are a Merkava, they are a chariot for godliness. And one of the cherubs has the face of a little boy. And the other of the cherubs has the face of a little girl. Because they represent Yichud of Zohar and Akeva, male and female, Kuchabrichu and Shechina, higher and lower, but in a small, in a miniature, like children. In other words, the Kruvim represented the Merkava, the Adam, the chariot, which godliness has brought down from a higher level to a lower level, but in the Kruvim, they're miniature, they're Ze'er, they're small, as opposed to Arich. And that's the translation of the word Kruv. It's translated in English as Cherub. What is Cherub? Kruv. What is Kruv? Cherub. What is Cherub? Kruv. You don't understand? Say it a few more times. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a funny little image, a human face with six wings or four wings. But it means Keravye. It means Adam. It means Merkava. It means a vehicle for the manifestation of godliness, which is diminished, miniature, so it has a closer relationship with us. And like any Merkava, like any Adam, like any world, it has a masculine and a feminine aspect. And that's what the male and female Kruv represent. The male Kruv would be Zoh, the Mashpia. The female Kruv would be Shechina, would be Malchus, Kansas Yisrael. That's the Makabal. And now the plot thickens. In other words, if you think until now I was complicated enough, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> In Kabbalah we learn about Binyan Malchus. You know, any person who studied Hasidus about Rosh Hashanah knows that idea. And the idea is as follows. We've established the idea that the relationship between creator and creation has to do with Adam, a chariot, a form that brings forward godliness from a higher level to a lower level. We've also established, at least somewhat, that the process of bringing godliness forward from a higher level to a lower level involves Mashpia, Makabal, Zohar, Nekev, male and female. So it says in Kabbalah that the female's condition fluctuates. The Makabal status changes. And the Shoshanah, you want to expand the female, you want to build up the female to make her a full partner with the male so that she can receive everything that the male gives so that when she transmits to the next world, her transmission should be complete based on what she's received from her male um, Counterpart. And of course, the metaphor for this is Adam and Chava. Chava and Adam, according to one opinion in the Gemara, which Rashi brings, which is the opinion that Hasidus focuses on, one of those great mistakes that Jews make, and I hate to say it, the mistake is based mostly on Christianity. 
that Chava was created from a rib of Adam. There's no such opinion. Chava and Adam were created as Siamese twins attached at the back, the spinal column. They were complete human beings back to back. In fact, it says in Svarim they could have had children as they stood back to back. But they couldn't have had the relationship. Adam was bigger and stronger, so he could have schlepped Chava around and their influence, their interaction would have been very basic. Just to produce offspring, there couldn't be an intellectual relationship between Adam and Chava. There couldn't be a meaningful, passionate relationship between Adam and Chava. So he separated them. This is called Nisida, separating them. So that they could face each other, they could have a much more intimate relationship. And man and woman, and of course we mean this in the mystical sense, could be equal. Everything that the masculine aspect of godliness has, the feminine aspect of godliness is able to receive. And the collective of Klal Yisrael, we as a people are called Knesset Yisrael. We are all the feminine aspect. In other words, this is not about man versus woman. In mysticism, all of the Jewish people are the wife, so to speak, of Zeyrampin or the, the miniature form of Adam and Elyon. So, originally, Adam and Chava were physically attached at the spine, but their relationship was reduced, Hashem separates them to reunite them, what's called Ponem Beponem. So it says in Kisvi Harizal that there are seven aliyahs, seven levels of ascent from Malchus to Zer. In the relationship between the masculine and female and feminine aspects of godliness, and of course the idea is that whatever the male aspect gives the female aspect, will result in what the female aspect can give the lesser worlds, has everything to do with the feminine's aspect's capacity to receive. In other words, you're listening to me now for 33 minutes and 47 seconds, approximately. You cannot repeat of what I have said more than you've grasped. And I hope <laughs> it's considerable. And if it isn't, it may not be your fault, maybe mine. But let's not go there, that's a personal issue. And if you were transmitted to somebody else, who would then transmit it to someone else, in each case, it's the story of broken telephone. You can't give more than you received. And you try to invent, then you distort. If you receive it all, you can give it all. If you've received 80%, the person after you can't possibly give more than 80%, and they may give less. So the seven aliyas amalchus, the idea of malchus ascending is expanding and opening up malchus to be, so that the feminine aspect, the macabre aspect of Olam Elyon should be able to receive more. And the more she receives, the more she can give. And basically there's three levels of receipt. You receive the action, you receive a gift of emotion, and you receive a gift of ideas. Chabad, Chagas, Nehim. And if the Nukva is receiving only, it has the capacity to receive only Nehi, she can only give Nehi. If she has the capacity to receive also Chagas, she can give that as well. And if she has the capacity to receive Chabad, she can give that as well. And then of course there's the Katnas of Chabad and the Godless of Chabad, the Godless Eimon, the Godless Abba. Once you start learning Kabbalah, it's a, it never finishes. And according to Kabbalah, there are seven stages of the feminine aspect of Adam Elyon or the feminine aspect of the chariot being raised up where she's bigger and more capable to get and correspondingly bigger and more capable to communicate. And the seven aspects go into two broad groups. The first three are Ochr Ba'ochr, and the last four are Panim Ba'panim. There's Ochr Ba'ochr in the Hud Takasa Yasei, there's Ochr Ba'ochr, which is only Takasa Chaz, there's Ochr Ba'ochr, which is also Haiti Shainis. If you don't understand it, don't worry, I don't understand it either. And then there is four Madregis of Panim Ba'panim, Panim Ba'panim in the Hud Takasa Yasei, Panim Ba'panim, which receiving only the Heyachrinus, Menachaz Olamata, and Panim Ba'panim, which receiving the Heyachrinus Shainis as well. And then the Aliyah Hashviyas, the seventh ascent, is called Shavim, because Muslim, 
But this is Kabbalah. And um, Kabbalah, of course, is important. Everything is important. But to learn this Maimon, we don't need to delve into this that much. What we need to know is, number one, we're dealing with Kabbalah. Kabbalah means the anthropomorphic or the metaphysical forms that bring godliness closer to us. Yoyishev Tehilas Yisro. Basically, it's called Adam. There's a lot of levels of Adam. There's Arich and there's Ze'ed. There's large and there's small. Alternatively, and in a different way, we have the concept of Merkav, of a chariot that carries godliness from a higher level to a lower level. And then also the idea of Mashpia Makabal Zohar Rekev is Eirampin and Nukv. And that in the relationship between the higher aspect and the lower aspect that facilitates the transmission of godliness from a higher space to a lower space, at the lowest world should receive the maximum light, it has everything to do with the preparedness of Nukva. The more the feminine aspect gets, the more the feminine aspect can receive. In other words, the more compatible the female Kruv is with the male Kruv, the more she receives from the Mashpia and the more she's able to transmit to us. This is basic Kabbalah. So if you look at the Maimir, on line one, it reads, and I'm finally getting to the text, Kishahanukva, when the feminine aspect of the divine chariot, he Knesset Yisrael, which is the collective of the Jewish people, and of course the masculine aspect is Adam Elion, Atzilas, Zohar. It's face to face with the Eiranpin. In other words, she's in a position where she's able to receive Nehi, Chagas, and Chabad. Her vessels, the Lushen is that there's Binyan Amalchus to be Esther Nekudas, not just Nekuda Achas, and not just Vav Ktsavis, but Esther Nekudas. Everything that Mashpia has, she has vessels to receive. In psychological terms, think of it as a man and a woman who are connected intellectually, emotionally, sensually, and practically. Those are different dimensions of humanhood. Not all couples connect on all levels. When you have a comprehensive relationship between a Zohar and a Keva, that's a metaphor for Malchus being Ponim B'Ponim Emzor. But there are different levels. Ponim B'Ponim Emzor is Aliyah Hadad and Aliyah Hay. Then there's something called Shavin Bekeimosan, where they're of equal height. And when they're of equal height, Umekabelaz Gamkin Hamechin Davo. And then the feminine aspect is receiving from the masculine aspect, not just the moichen of Zohar, but the moichen of Avor. In other words, where the, mystically speaking, the female and the male are identical, but the female is still receiving and the male is still giving. And then there's a final level, and they share one crown. Sharing one crown is where the feminine aspect is not receiving from the masculine aspect, but she's receiving from the source of all. So, for the techno uh, Precisers, <laughs> I didn't want to say techno freaks. Um, there are actually three levels here. Ponim beponim is aliyah hey dalad vahey. Shalom bekemos be aliyah havov and kesarech and l'shneim is aliyah hazayin. And I want you to know that in some modern and not you have it in Hemshchayim Beis. When you have the aliyah hashvius, the malchus not only is receiving directly from kesar, but she's actually higher than her husband, higher than zah. As this maimah finishes. What's important for us is the idea that in the Merkava there's a Mashpia and a Makabal. When the Mashpia and the Makabal are fully engaged, which is all about the Makabal's capacity to receive, it's called Ponem Beponem, Shavim Bekemosan, and the highest level of all is Kesedach Adashneim, where they're both receiving from Insaf directly. Then the male and female aspect are called brothers, equals. And of course the Rebbe says, Vezeh Hoya Kabbalah Satayra Ponem Beponem. When the Ebishter gave us the Torah, 
there was a transmission of godliness from on high to below. In order for Hashem to give us the Torah, the Shekhinah aspect of godliness, the feminine aspect of godliness, had to be fully developed to receive all the Ein Saf of the masculine aspect of godliness so that she can transmit it to us. And this basically is called the Aliyah Hashishis, the sixth level of Malchus Ascent. It was true by Adam and Chav before the original sin. It was true in the times of Shleim HaMalach, like it says in Hasidus. It was true at Matan Teira. What's interesting is it says in Kisve Arizal and it says in Hasidus, Aliyah Hashviyas, which is called Kesed Hashem, has never happened. It won't happen until Mashiach comes. But Aliyah Hashishis, where the male and the female are exactly equal, except that the male is still the Mashbiyah and the feminine is still the Makabal, happened on a number of occasions, including at Matan Teira, and Baklalas in the time of the first Beis HaMikdash in the Kedesh HaKadoshim. And that's what this Maimed is saying. The Kruvim, the physical cherubs and the physical ark, are a representation of the Merkava, the divine chariot. Yoishev Tehilas Yisrael, Godless manifests on it. And there's the male and the female, and they're exactly the same size. Everything the Mashpia has, it gives them a Kabul. Everything the Mashpia gives them a Kabul, the Kabul receives and is giving it to us. In other words, it's a when you have a first base amikdash and a holy of a ark with holy of holies, godliness is fully manifest in Asiya and it Misham Kule, that light makes the whole world a holier place. And we continue. The way the male and female aspects of Makava exist up there in Atsilos, Nikraim Adamagot, they're called the great man, or Ravrevi, the large face. To be, line 4 now, that godliness should manifest in the vessels of Atzilus. And as a consequence, because the light goes into the vessels, the vessels are one with the Yain Sof. That's what this means in this case. So Atzilus is called Odamagodl, as opposed to Odamakotl. Now, Beklolos, in general, we would call that Arich Anpin, the large face, as opposed to Ze'er Anpin, the miniature face. But understand, nothing is as it seems. In other words, Atzilus is not Arich Anpin. Atzilus is, is Ze'er Anpin, is a miniature face. But Atzilus, relative to Kruv, Keravia, which is the face of the boy and the girl, is considered large. In other words, you have three Madregis. Arech Ampen is Keser, Ze'er Ampen is Atzilus, and Kruvim, Keravya, is godliness, also conforming to the Merkava model of male and female, in a lower realm, like a little boy and a little girl, which are, relatively speaking, an even smaller face. And that's what this Maimit is discussing. In the tabernacle and in the temple. And we mean the first. That the entire essence of godliness was contained in the space of two and a half amas, two and a half hand, uh, cubits in the Holy of Holies between the bars, the beams of the Holy Ark and it was basia in physical space Ozai, so then Nikrazun, the masculine and feminine aspects of the divine chariot that bring godliness forward from a higher level to a lower level are called Anpizutribigimara, a small face which is what the word Kruv means. Kruv means Keravi, like a little boy and a little girl. It's the same model. Masculine and feminine. But it's in a reduced state. And the Maimer continues. All of us know that there's a phenomenon called Eis a special time, unique time. Like you have in Tanya chapter 12, 
Ibn Taitid chapter 39, that the times of davening are special times. What happens during times of davening? In other words, particular hours in a day, there's a possibility for lower worlds to ascend higher. And Athiya, during davening, ascends to Atsilas. In other words, when you daven, when you're supposed to daven, the effectiveness of your davening is far greater because there's an Esrat in Lamailo. Lachain, this is why Yesh Lekruvim, these cherubs, have Knafayim Prusim Lamailo, wings extended upwards, Laoifef Latsilas, which represent the notion of them, in quotes, flying up into Atsilas. Whatever the metaphysics, whatever the mysticism behind this means, but certainly it means that there are occasions when the Kruvim receive more godliness than on other occasions. The Kruvim were physical cherubs in the physical world, which were, as I explained to you before, not a chariot for the Shekhinah of Asiya, but a chariot for the Shekhinah of Atzilus, because in the times of the first base Hamikdash, it was and this is especially true at those Iteiratzen, those special times of davening, as he indicates here. And we continue. Line 8 now. And it is known that the small face in Atsilos, the miniature Adam Elion's Eir Ampin, is the end of the descent of the Ein Saf from a higher level to a lower level. In Hasidus, there's an expression that the Eir Ampin is called Saif Vegilu Elamis Ein Saf. There's a lot of level of Ein Saf. And of course, the million dollar question is I didn't know infinity had levels. It either is or isn't infinite. And of course, the answer to that question is the infinity is the same. The vessels change. And if the vessel is more low and more elaborate, the Ein Saf has to be more open, more revealed in order to be manifest. In other words, higher levels, where the vessels are more sensitive, the Ein Saf, the godliness, is more concentrated, which is called more etzim, more essence-like. And the correct translation of etzim, of Ein Saf, means godliness as exists in relationship with itself, as opposed to a relationship with something other. Atzilus has vessels. They are other, they are separate from the Ein Saf. And when the Ein Saf manifests in the vessels of Atzilus, it has to go through a change called Giloi, Ha'ara of the Mahus of Ein Saf. Godliness has to be revealed for the vessels to be able to receive it. So it says in Kabbalah that the end of the Ein Saf, in terms of Ishtashlis, is Eiramben, is Oda Atzilus. Now, parenthesis, the Rebbe has a diary. Our Rebbe has a Rishimis. And although this is not my job, and this is not the time and place, if you don't read the Rebbe's Rishimis, you have no idea what you're missing. And to be honest, the Rishimis shouldn't be read, they should be studied. Although it seems like the previous Rebbe telling the Rebbe's stories, there's incredible revelations that were not known until now in the diary. And someplace in that diary, there's a one-liner. The previous Rebbe must have told this to the Rebbe. It has no connection to before, no connection to after. It's one of those one-liners right in the middle of uh, the Rishimis. I don't remember where it is, but it's the kind of thing that most people would just skip. And the line says, Zah, who saif Elamis Ein Saf. The end of Ein Saf is Zah of Atzilas. There's no Ein Saf in the lower worlds. Ein Saf's lowest level is called the revelation of the Ein Saf. Because higher levels of the Ein Saf are called Etzem of Ein Saf, more concentrated levels of Ein Saf. The fancy Hasidic word that represents it is Muhus. There's the etzim of the Mahus of Ein Saf, and then there is the Ha'ara of the Mahus of Ein Saf. That's Atzilus. Briye would be only the Mitzias of the Ein Saf. In other words, evidence of godliness, but not the actual experience of it. The end of Ein Saf is Zod Atzilus. That's just a fact. Says the Rebbe. But, because Ein Saf has manifest in Zod, and Zod is Odom, Zod is Merkova, Zod is godliness as it's manifest, there's the possibility of godliness coming into the lower realms as well. 
and particularly into the Kedush HaKadoshim and the Kruvah. It should later be able to shine into the lower realms, or ultimately shine in this world, and specifically in the first place of Mikdash, in the Holy of Holies, on top of the Kruvah. But this is Aidea Nukva. It needs the feminine aspect. So Zoh, Ze'er Ampen, is the masculine aspect of Atsilas, which is Sevigili, Avela Mesein Sof. And it's Mashpia to Nukva, Malchus of Atsilas. And as I explained to you earlier, Malchus of Atsilas is fluctuating. She has seven alias, seven different possible relations with her husband, with Ze'er Ampen. And the more prepared the Nukva is to receive, the more wholesome is the Hashpoah from Zoh and Malchus, and correspondingly, the more wholesome is the Hashpoah from Malchus into the lower realms. And at the times of the Matanteda and the Beis Hamikdash, there was Aliyah Shishis. Nukva was completely developed, Ponim Beponim, Shavim became Asan, to receive the maximum light from Zah to Mashpiyat into the lower worlds. Shehi, that Nukva is Emetatah, the lower mother, Shehu Mokr Bia, it's the source of the lower worlds, Shabi Atzilas, which is Atzilas. Says the Rebbe, now we translate the Pasik. We have just described. How the Aron HaKedish, the Holy Ark and its cherubs, represent the Merkava. They bring Godliness forward from a higher level to a lower level, and they exist in Asiya, bringing Godliness forward from Atsilos to Asiya. And we also understand that they have a male and a female aspect, because all of Ishtashlis of Godliness goes through this cycle of Yehudim, male and female. The same is true of the Kruvan. So, he explained, first of all, why the Kruvim have extended wings. Not only because on those wings, Reichev HaRochev, Reichev HaKruvim, Yeshev HaKruvim, on top of those wings the Shechina rests, but because those Kruvim represent the idea that the Kruvim of Asiya can skip all of Ishtashlis and fly straight up into Atsilas. But there's another idea, and that is, of course, that the Kruvim have a male and a female, a little boy and a little girl. It's Adam in miniature, but there's another idea that the Rebbe wants to now explain. Because the Pasuk says, siv, that's why it says in the scripture, in the Pasuk, one cherub is at one end. And the when you read the Chumash that describes how they built the Arna Kedish, they built the box. On top of the box they put a deck. And on top of that to the cherubs, the Kruv. And the Kruv was supposed to be at the very tip, at the very edges of the Kapedis on both ends. Now, Technically, physically, that's simply logistics. That's how it was supposed to be. But the Lashon is, at one edge. At the other edge. Which means they should be as far apart as possible. Mystically, it's exactly the opposite. One Kruv should be at the lowest edge of Ein Sof. The other Kruv should be at the highest edge of Elamis. So although physically, and means on the deck of the Arun, as far apart as possible, mystically it means where the Ein Saf's very end meets Eilamis' very beginning. So, means the male cherub should be at the very bottom of Eilamis' Ein Saf, which is Zoh. And means the female Kruv should be at the very highest level of Nevrayim to be able to receive maximally what the Mashpiyah is giving. So, in other words, the mystical translation of these words is technically the exact opposite of the literal translation of these words, not as far apart as possible, but as close together as possible. Read it inside. This is line 9. One cherub is at one edge, the very bottom of Ein Sof. The other cherub is at the other edge, 
is meaning to say the highest level of what's going to be worlds. Mekeir, Bria, Yetzir, Asiya, the very source of the lower worlds. Visharshem and their root. Shabbatzilos, as they exist in Atzilos. Shabbatzilabesh, Bahem, Gamkein, that even in Nukva and Malchus should be manifest also. Eden Sof. Aideh HaMeich and through the more expansive and higher levels of reciprocals for godliness called Avo. Hanoisnim Baroish Hanukva, which place Eidele, higher godliness, in the head of Nukva, Aidei Zohar to her husband Zohar, Derech Maivelevad, in an indirect way, or without, without changing it, without Velayba Derech just Mamish, without being manifest Mamish. Let me pause. Ze'ed Ampin and Nukva are a Mashpia and a Makabal. And when the Shavan became Mosan, Ze'ed Ampin is a Mashpia, and Nukva is a Makabal. But there are things that Nukva receives from the Eirampin that the Eirampin isn't even a vessel for. So it's receiving them from the Eirampin, but it's passing through it without it being manifest. I'll say it to you very briefly. There's something called Moichin Dezor, the brains of the Eirampin, the miniature face. Then there's the Moichin Davor, the brains of the more expansive face. When Zor and Nukva are Ponim Beponim, Shove became Muslim to be Makabal for Moichin, both of them, even though Zor and Nukva, are Miniature are not only receiving the full possibility of godliness in accordance with their own miniature level, but they're receiving a more expansive godliness from something which is higher than them, which is called Meichen of Avo, which is above Meichen of Zun. So, it's still true that there's a male and a female, the male is giving, the female is receiving, but what the male is giving the female is not even the maximum of what the male is, it's something even higher than the male. And both of them are receiving fully from what's above themselves, in an indirect way. When I use the word indirect, I mean in a hidden way. When I mean, when I say hidden is, that it's not affected by the fact that it's passing through an intermediate stage. As it would be, when the female would be lower than the male, so the male would be getting more and giving the female less. For example, only from the chest down, which is the lower half of Zoh, which is being Mashpiyat Malchus. But in this case, they're ponim beponim, and they're shavim became Muslim, and they're actually both receiving from Moichim, which is higher than themselves. Now, if that little piece of Kabbalah confused you, don't eat your heart out, don't worry about it. The key is to get the basic message of the Maimon. And the basic message of the Maimon, of course, is that in Kabbalah, there is a mashpia and Makabal. The Kruvim represent this model of Zohar and Nekeva, mashpia and Makabal. And because of the two Kruvim, Godliness descends from a higher level to a lower level and in the end reaches our world which is the point line 13 before we continue we've explained three things about these Kruvim number one, why the wings extend upwards number two why they're called Kruv and number three what is the meaning of Kruv Echad Mikotsam Kruv Echad Mikotsam they're at the very edge of Ein the very edge of creation and they meet and they have a maximum engagement. Now goes another commentary on the Kruvim. The Tater says that you have to take one big block of gold and hack out of it the deck of the yard and the two cherubs. You can't weld it together. It has to be one solid piece of gold. And there's a mysticism for that. And the mysticism is that ultimately, not only is 
the feminine aspect, receiving everything the masculine aspect has to give, but that in fact they're both receiving from something which is higher than other altogether. In other words, the the idea that the cherubs sit on top of a deck and they're made from one piece, this deck which is beneath the cherubs represents something higher. And ultimately it means where the feminine aspect is not receiving from the masculine aspect, but rather the feminine aspect is receiving directly from the Ein Sof. And as you'll see soon, ultimately when Mashiach comes, the Ali Ashvi is the feminine source, which is higher than the masculine, is manifest, and it's all, so to speak, upside down. The Gambachin is Makiv. And also the hovering dimension, which is Al-Luchas Shaba'aran, which represented or were present because of the Luchas in the, 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 the tablets of the covenant which were in the ark. Shem Bechinis Yisei Daba, which are very high level, Chokhmah Vatsilas. Shenislap Shubasiyah, which were manifest in this, the lowest world. Bizman HaMishkan, Vahamiktosh, in the time of the first place HaMiktosh. Ubizman Aliyah Sakruvim, when the Kruvim ascend into Vatsilas. Heim Mailim, they, they affect a further raising up. Gama Kapedes, Vahaluches, Latsilis, that the, the deck and the Luches should also descend, ascend into Atsilis. Luchen Ksiv, therefore it's written, Seichachim Bechanfeya Malakapedes, that they hover with their wings over the Kapedes. We need to say, Shakapedes Eileimon, that the Kapedes ascends with them. So the fourth aspect is that. The, the cherubs, the kruvim, represent Merkava, masculine and fe- feminine, mashpia and Merkava. Ultimately, you're revealing a level which is completely higher than, say, the Rishtashlas. I, I want to make it brief. I don't want to ignore it, but I just want to mention it very briefly. The Torah of Atzilus is represented by the Sefer Torah. The Torah of the Luchas is uh, itself higher than Atzilus. The reason the Shekhinah was manifest in Asiya without any regard for Heshtalshalism, because the Luchas reveal godliness which is higher than, say, the Heshtalshalism altogether. And as a result of the Luchas, the Kruim were not only a Mashpia and a Makav on the highest level, but there's a revelation of what's called Kesed Echadashneim. But that was only when you had Ali Hashishis. Maximum uh, meeting, so to speak, the masculine and the female aspect, met on what was the highest possible level, that they're perfectly compatible, completely aligned, and Mashpia is giving Makabal everything. In fact, Mashpia is giving things to Makabal which are passing by Bederach Maivin. And also the idea of Kesed Echadashneim. However, when the base of Mikdash is destroyed, the godliness which is represented by the two cherubs in the physical world went back to Atzilas. And they did not come back into the physical world. When the second base of Mikdash was built, there were no Kruvim in the Kedesh HaKadoshim. The cherubs were hidden. And as a result, the godliness of Shechina, which comes into Asiya, in the second base of Mikdash, is much, much lower than the godliness of Shechina, which was present um, in the first base of Mikdash. So now we don't have a physical Aden, which allows for in soft to be manifest in the physical world as was manifest in the times of the first base HaMikdash. Concludes Al-Tarebbe el however, even now, even in Golos, there is a Shechina in this world, but it's Rak Bebchinas Pnimiyas Elamis, in the inner dimension of the world. In other words, it's not something which you can experience in the outer world. You can only experience in the inner world. And what is the inner world? It's in the Teda. Shalat Tanoim of the Tanoim shall be made by Yisheni. 
in the times of the second base of Mikdash, and later, that the Chazal say that the Mishachorah Beis Hamikdash ain't like Kadosh Baruch Hu Be'Elami Al Dalat Amos Al Loches Bovad. The Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. There's no place for Shechina except where Taira is. And simply speaking, this means that only those who have a connection to Taira on this level can experience the Shechina. But there's a more complicated meaning. And the more complicated meaning is that just as there's no godliness revealed in the Beis Hamikdash, there's also no godliness revealed in the Taira. In other words, Taira has a face upon it. The face of godliness, of Taita is godliness. Taita has an achat, a rear. The rear of Taita is seichel, human intellect, human scholarship and human effort at interpreting the Taita. When the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, godliness is gone from the Beis HaMikdash. And the godliness is concealed from within the Taita. But the Tanoim and Amiroim interpret the Taita. And they're bisyageya, they toil, they work very, very hard to try and interpret the Taita. In other words, once the Ruach HaKadosh, when the godliness is removed, all that they have at their disposal to access the truth of the Taita is their minds, their intellect, and they work very, very hard, and they reveal Baha'u'llah. They create new laws. Shem Pnimi Yisratzen Ha'elium, which is the innermost will of Hashem, Shalei Nizgala Bechochmi Allah, which was not revealed in the higher wisdom, who Taita Shavik This is a classic example of Yidit Tzedek Aliyah. The Tanaim and Amirayim were in a Torah of darkness. The, so to speak, the Gilead Akus, the Nevuah, the Rochadish departed after whatever it is, 40 years into Baishadi, when Shimon Azadik passes away. And the Chazal no longer have the Ruach HaKadish, the Divine Presence. Or as it's called in many cases, the, five mir- the ten miracles were gone. Chosru Hamisha Devorim, and on and on and on. And instead, what do they have? Torah Shabalpeh. In their darkness, they toiled to interpret the Torah. Says the Altarebbe, when they interpreted the Torah and they revealed new halachas, they were not only re-revealing the godliness, which was revealed in the time of the first Beis Hamikdash, but something even higher. And this is what the Rebbe concludes: A woman of valor is the crown of her husband. The darkness caused the Tanoim and Amiraim to toil to try and reach the truth of the Torah, and they invented, they created, they were what we call mechadesh. Halachas of Tadesh Abalpeh, those halachas of Tadesh Abalpeh, which are symptoms of the darkness that has to do with the departure of the Shekhinah, is actually revealing a level of godliness which was not even revealed in the times of the first base on Mikdash. And of course, when Mashiach comes, we'll see the advantage of Tadesh Abalpeh over Tadesh Abiksav, we'll see the advantage of Golos over Yula, we'll see the advantage over the feminine over the masculine. As I said to you earlier, this is what's discussed in Hasidus, that Aliyah Hashviyas has never been. Aliyah Hashviyas is where Malchus is higher than Zoh, and this is going to be when Mashiach comes. I hope that was comprehensive and useful, and if I may say so, interesting.